1: how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Get
0: in the know. Non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com.
1: Purple Daily on Draft every Monday. We're coming at you a little early. We're recording this on Monday morning, so Tyler Fornas can actually get out to Vikings practice at training camp. Uh, no Thor and Nystrom this week, so just me and Forno. Uh, but man, Forno, we, there, there's been a lot of takeaways. You were taken in training camp uh, over this weekend at TCO, and in fact, we're going to get into some uh, some high performers, some top performers so far uh, that shined at Vikings training camp, and. We'll give the people what they want, a little college football conference realignment talk. And I want uh, Tower to explain this to me like I'm a fifth grader. Because even though I mostly know what it is, I still would love an expert's uh, analysis on it. So we'll get into that later on this episode, too, on Purple Daily on Draft. Hit that subscribe button. For daily Vikings entertainment, Purple Daily on Draft comes at you every Monday. And by the way, Before I Die uh, comes back also with Judd Zogad, Jesse Pierce, and Ross Brendel. That episode will be available later on Monday afternoon, evening as well. So be on the lookout for that. All right, it's Purple Daily on Draft right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. Thank you for uh, listening, for subscribing. Uh, I want to start here, now because I think this guy's been a little bit of the talk of training camp. We've talked about him uh, with Mackie and Judd and myself on the flagship edition of Purple Daily, and I would love your thoughts on it as well, because I think this guy's becoming basically the pseudo Mr. Mankato favorite, if you will. I know they're an Egan mm-hmm. now. Uh, but Ivan Pace Jr. continues to flash here. He's getting run with the ones. Um, he was in UDFA, and we talked about a lot with him, with, him and with yourself and Thor. Um, and he might be this diamond in a rough. And so far, through the first week of training camp, I mean, he's getting a good amount of run what have you especially noticed and liked about Ivan Pace Jr. with the Vikings?
0: Explosive downfield. And when you talk about Ivan Pace Jr., one of the big things with him is he's relatively small for a linebacker. Not weight-wise. He's bigger than Brian Osamoa weight-wise. He's 230 pounds, but he's 5'10 half. And some of the things that he struggles with are some of the things you want to see from a linebacker. And that's one of the reasons why I don't think he's supplanting Jordan Hicks anytime soon as a starter. Hicks is a thumper in the run game. He's going to attack downhill and he, he's going to be able to hit a block, stack him, shed, be able to get the tackle. Those kinds of things are what Ivan Pace doesn't do very well. He's not able to do that stack and shed regularly. And I think in, because he spent so much time at Miami of Ohio and then one year at Cincinnati and they used him mainly as a blitzer, as a pass rusher, which is why his skill set is so unique. Cause you don't see inside linebackers that, are pass rushers. You see outside linebackers do that. And it's a very intriguing element. And when you have Brian Flores, he's going to be able to utilize that skill set. And we're going to be able to see him attack the quarterback and attack those gaps. But he's not an every down player right now. But when he is on the field, he's making a difference. He's getting pressure. He's getting sacks. He's able to, to hit gaps in the running game and be able to, Uh, make plays in the backfield. He's doing all the little stuff well that you really like to see. And being that he's a UDFA, it feels like, wow, this guy's kind of coming out of nowhere. I had a fourth round grade on him because the stuff he did well was really good, but I didn't see him move laterally sideline to sideline. Well, but when he's attacking straight ahead downfield, and that's what Brian Flores is going to have him do. He's a really good football player. And, it, however you want to phrase it, Mr. Mankato, Mr. TCO
1: he's the front runner right now. All right. So he's probably in line to make the 53. But do you see him making an impact immediately in week one? Whether that's not starting, but do you see him getting actual defensive snaps in week one against the Buccaneers? I know we're early here. We're still about a month away from the season opener. But how do you see his role with the Vikings defense when they do break camp, Tyler? I, I'm not going to
0: guarantee you anything week one. But I think Ivan Pace's snaps per game is going to be very situational and it's going to be very dependent on the team they're playing because of what that skill set is. I would say probably going to average between a 20 and 50% snap share because you're going to put him in there to rush the pass. You're going to put him in there on blitz looks and you're going to try and do a lot of those unique things. He's going to be a sub package player. And when you're talking about backups, having sub package guys is great. A guy like Jay Ward is going to be a sub package guy because you can play him an outside corner, inside corner, in the box and and deep. But we'll talk about that safety group in a little bit. It's can you do your role well as that sub package player? And I don't think there's going to be any rookie in the league that's going to be a better blitzing and
1: pass rushing middle linebacker than Ivan Pace Jr. Man, that's exciting, especially, too, when he's a UDFA and didn't have high expectations, but is already making a a big big noise, a lot of noise at training camp, sticking with the same position, uh, Brian Asamoah. And by the way, Tyler has a great write-up here, the uh, top 10 performers at Vikings training camp at VikingsWire and VikingsWire.com, where you can find Tyler and Judd Zolgad's work. Um, you wrote up that the Vikings will continually be heavily uh, will be continuing heavily, excuse me, on Brian Osamola this season at linebacker, and he is performing like a player ready to set up. However, things aren't perfect with the 66th overall pick from 2022. He still shows struggles in picking gaps, and but when he diagnosed the play correctly, he can turn into a game wrecker. So his ceiling or his biggest impact is potentially being a game wrecker. Uh what have you not, I guess, liked from Brian Osamoa so far at training camp?
0: It's inconsistencies. And it, it's the same inconsistencies that we saw last year. There's just less of them. There uh, there's a two play sequence at Saturday's camp when I was out with my dad, and it was really cool because he he just when he sees and diagnoses a play, and then he it, he's like a shotgun. <laughs> where like you press that trigger and that bullet just fires out of the chamber. And that's what he looks like on the field. He just fires through that gap and makes a play. Problem is the next play. He hits the wrong gap and it goes for 10 yards. And that kind of the Brian Osamoa experience right now is the diagnosing part. When he's right, it's tremendous, but he's not always right. And figuring out a way to make that consistent. And the only way to really do that is with film study and live reps. He's getting better, but you're still going to have those warts, and those warts are why he didn't play a lot until the end of last year, because you're not just allowing 10 yards. Those 10-yard gains can go for 50, and you're going to have to rely a lot on those back-end guys to be able to save him if he makes those wrong moves, because it is so important that you fill those right gaps and run fits, especially when we're talking about zone runs, because there really is no hole like there is with a, a manpower gap scheme, where, hey, we're going to open up this one lane, hit the lane. With zone runs, it's, hey, you're going to run and flow this way, find the hole. There's going to be one. You just have to find it. And with those kind of runs, that's where Asamoa, if he picks the wrong gap, could get slaughtered. And he's still struggling a little bit with pass coverage, but the good is really, really, really good. And can be a true game changer at linebacker. So it's about developing that consistency. seen is kind of in the same light here, Declan, okay. where he played really well, but he just happens to be safety number four in a really, really good safety room. There's there's five good players in that room, and it's I, do we want a team start? Absolutely, but I think what the proof is going to be in the pudding with the snap share. How many? How much? time is he getting on the field during the regular season if he is not getting a lot of snaps then we need to worry but they're kind of in the same boat they just need to develop more consistency because the talent and ability is all there
1: well it looks like harrison smith too at least from judd's notes and what he's told us too i mean he looks back to being kind of that hairy hitman that he was for the majority of his career uh Sands last year at that donatel where he was mostly dropping back in coverage so you're basically saying that with lewis seen it's not that he doesn't have the ability. It's the fact there's log jams here, right? Harrison Smith's in there, Josh Metellus is in there, Cam Bynum's in there. Uh, it just feels like there's just a log jam in front of him, and he can't really crack the code because he's not up to those three players' abilities. Is that basically where he's at right now?
0: Yeah, pretty much. Like
1: that's that's really all there is to it. It's just it's developing consistency. Yeah, it feels like that draft class in general, the 2022 one. I know Andrew Booth, too, could just continues to not be able to stay on the field. It, it looks like those first two picks in Andrew Booth-Lewis scene, I mean, I don't know if they'll make an impact. Booth can't really seem to stay healthy. Scene's log jammed a little bit. Uh, I do want to get into Makai Blackman here in just a little bit because he is impressing, and he's a rookie cornerback that might end up just starting for them. Uh, but it just seems like early impressions, even though we're only like 10 days into training camp so far, that the 2022 draft class, I feel like, is still teetering mostly, potentially on a disappointment level than being a hit level.
0: Yeah. Boots a weird one. Um, I want to see what this, well, how soon he's actually coming back from injury because we didn't get reports from practice yesterday because they had to move it inside. I'll, I'm going to watch from a practice today because. I really want to know because he never got to participate in team drills in corner with the cornerbacks uh, as far as in front of us because he got hurt. And I want to see how he's going to be able to grow and develop within the context of that. I still believe in him. And look, I wrote about it on Saturday. People are starting to call him Mike Hughes and I get it because and the difference between the two is Mike Hughes showed a real promise before he tore his ACL against the Cardinals. Booth really hasn't shown anything yet. It's just been, hey, uh, a promise of talent and injuries, but he had the meniscus. They did the full repair, which is why he missed the rest of the season, and now it's about, can you take that step forward? Can you improve? And I think he can. I still think that, and I know if you talk to Luke Braun, He and I agree on this. He needed a year to really figure some stuff out because he was so raw. But his ability to plan his foot, click and close, and explode forward. So the way this off-man scheme works, Declan, is when you have these heavy blitzes, everybody's five yards off the line of scrimmage. Well, if somebody runs a slant right in front of you, you have to be able to put your foot in the ground and drive on that football. And that's something that he excels at. So this defense is actually really good for his skill set. And I want to... See what he's going to be able to do in this defense when he's healthy before I really make any kind of drastic decisions. And just stay patient. Even though that patience is wearing thin and it's really annoying, we got to stay patient with Booth because he still has all that talent that we want to see at the cornerback position.
1: And I guess from Booth's side of things, not unlike Louis Seen, there's a chance here with all these defensive backs and cornerbacks that he can actually make some noise because that's just, it's completely. It's up in the air, basically, and you need as many depth guys as you can. Obviously, Makai Blackman's getting a lot of these reps right now as a rookie, and he's looking really damn good. Um, and up, actually, I don't know if I don't know about you, Forno, but I kind of feel like he actually might end up being a starter in Week One for the Vikings at this point. Um, he's getting a lot of reps with the ones. He's kind of getting in there uh, a good amount of time, I guess. Do you see Makai Blackman potentially being a Week One starter for the Vikings against the Bucks when the season does start?
0: He's going to be the nickel guy. And whether you count nickel as a starter is going to be up to you. Plus, they're going to be utilizing a lot of big nickel, which for oh, those who aren't aware, big nickel is when that 50 defensive back is a safety and it's not a corner. And it's a relatively normal package. And then you'll have, uh, sometimes they'll do penny packages with three safeties in one corner, like if you have a wide receiver. And then you just want more of a, a thumper. Like Metallus is going to be more of a thumper than a Caleb Evans. So if you have one receiver package, three tight ends get a safety in there they can do a little bit more in the running game but Blackman is has been running with the ones as far as the nickel package ever since pads came on and it's been Byron Murphy Jr. Caleb Evans as the cornerbacks one and two and I've seen Murphy outside and in the slot same with Blackman Evans has not moved in the slot at all which honestly is the right call he's just he doesn't have the ability to be able to utilize those two-way goes so The one benefit, like you see guys like Wes Walker in the slot. Well, the reason why they can win in the slot is because there's two ways they can go. You can go left or you can go right. And the ability to be able to be shifty and pick a route. And then the corner has to figure it out. Outside, you have the sidelines to help you as a corner. So it's outside corner is more valuable, but it's also easier to play than in the slot. It's, It's a really weird dichotomy. And I don't think slot corners are valued enough because of that because of how difficult the job is. But you're also not, you're seeing more and more star receivers go in the slot, like Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup. You're seeing those guys there. But historically they've been, oh, we need to play them on the outside, but we're starting to learn more about how to be able to really maximize some of these guys in those condensed formations and make it happen. But to give this overarching point back to Blackman, He's got warts. He's not perfect. He's 178 pounds, but he plays bigger. He plays with an attitude. He plays feisty. And we've talked about it on the show before. And he specializes as a man coverage corner, which this defense, I would project they're going to play probably around 50% man coverage. It's going to be a lot in these cornerbacks. And the fact that he was the 102nd overall pick and he's already getting first team nickel reps, the second pads come on, that's a really big sign of how much they think of Blackman. And as we've talked about Cuesito Fomenta and his draft picks, we'll see if they're right.
1: Let's go to the offensive side of the ball, Porno. Uh, Obviously, Jordan Addison had a little bit of a rough uh, start to his Vikings career with missing some minicamp time and obviously the speeding ticket. But we all gave, gave him a pass. We all said, "Okay, clean slate, go into training camp, ball out. We can forget about all the other outside noise. And so far, he has been awesome, especially at the night practice. I know his route running is something that you have been really, really impressed with. And it just seems like the Vikings might have another great wide receiving option, which they have a history of doing. And I know they have a history of bust, too. It's on both sides of the coin to a degree. But it really looks like Jordan Addison has put all that outside noise behind him. And he's really impressing uh, with, with uh, the offense at training camp, being a rookie, trying to learn all this system. And it really looks like the Vikings actually might have another stud on their offense for Kirk Cousins.
0: It, it, it's kind of wild, right? Here, here's the big thing with Addison. It's not flawless at camp. He's having, it's like one of every three or four reps. It's like, okay, there's still some warts here. But when you watch him, it's like, wow, this guy just gets it. And it's being a technician. He's not an overly great athlete. He's not huge. He's 173 pounds. But what he does, he's just able to run routes with such a technical proficiency and create separation. And he understands how to high point the football. He has no problem doing that. There's a real chance that he's a superstar, but I also don't want to be hyperbolic because really this is training camp. Right. But when you're showing out this early and this well, you have to take notice and you have to understand that these, these kinds of things aren't normal. You don't see 23rd overall picks come in here and play this well immediately. Usually take some time. And we've seen some other guys in first round like Garrett Bradbury. Mike Hughes, Laquan Treadwell, guys who have been drafted in the back end. Xavier Rhodes even wasn't good right away. They had to really work with him before they got that all pro season in 2017 out, the fifth season of his career. Like, it's not normal. And the fact that he's playing like this so early gives you a lot of hope and gives you a lot of, hey, I think this guy could be great. And in theory, he won't ever be the wider, like the number one or number two option for Kirk Cousins this year. You have Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson. So he's never going to see like great coverage, which could help him really expand that role early on and show out quicker. The faster that he plays really well, the easier it's going to be on this entire offense to be able to distribute the ball. You can't cover three guys with double coverage. You can't, you can't even cover two guys with double coverage unless you want to rush three and at that point, the Vikings offensive line should be able to protect her cousins for four to five seconds, and then he can find a receiver down the field or a check down. Like, the quicker Addison is good on the field, the better it's going to be for this Vikings offense. And based on what I'm seeing at training camp, it's going to happen sooner rather than later.
1: I'd love your opinion on uh, Nikhil Harry here. The uh, Another first-round pick that the Vikings have brought in. Field Yates had that, and then they obviously the Vikings officially signed him uh, on Sunday night. So the Vikings wide receiving room. They have a lot of first round picks now. They have Addison. They have Jefferson. They have obviously Jalen Rager. Now they have Harry. He was the last pick in the draft by the New England Patriots in 2019. Um, I guess what is your thoughts on him potentially making this roster? Obviously he hasn't had a great NFL career in the four years he's been in. He was with the Bears last season. But just 64 catches uh, in 40 games. After what was, I believe, a pretty solid season at Arizona State, six foot four, two hundred and twenty-five pounds. I mean, just a mammoth of a human being here. I know he's mostly brought in for being a depth guy, but what do you like about Nikhil Harry? And does he have really any shot of potentially making this fifty three man roster?
0: I'm gonna be honest, he has no shot. Okay. And the reason he has no shot, Declan, you and I can separate better than him on a football field. Yikes. And that that's his big issue. He can't separate. He's great at contested catches. He's got really good hands, but when it comes to running crisp routes and creating separation outside of boxing out like a basketball forward, he doesn't have it. And that was his, the big issue when we were talking about uh, him in the lead up to the draft process, like he just couldn't do any of those things. And he was the first wide receiver taken in front of AJ Brown, in front of DK Metcalf, in front of Debo Samuel. In front of Terry McLaurin. But he can't separate. He just can't. Right. And well. that's that's the big issue. I like the idea of, hey, we want to bring in some more wide receiver depth. I would guess, because they brought in a wide receiver when they put James Lynch on injured reserve, one, they believe they like their defensive line room, and they're going to let those guys fight it out. And two, I wouldn't be shocked if we don't see Addison in the preseason, because... right adding another wide receiver body tells you that they, they may not want to play a lot of these guys. I think there's now 12 or 13 on the roster and they just uh, swapped wide receivers earlier this morning, signing uh, a former Gators legend, Jacob Copeland, who graduated from Maryland last year uh, and waved Cephas Johnson, the third it's, I just don't, I don't see a path for him making the roster unless he all of a sudden figured out how to, uh,
1: how to separate, but he can block. So there's that. Okay. Uh, any any other standouts on offense that you noticed for now before we get into this college football realignment? Um, I know Brandon Powell looked good. Uh, Blake Proles looked good. Who else on offense maybe stood out to you at training camp so far?
0: We need to talk about Brandon Powell. And this is going to sound absolutely insane, but I, I want to clarify two things when I say it. Brandon Powell gave uh, Luke Braun and I shades of Justin Jefferson and he was separating so crisp, so clean and explosively. And then when you're far enough away, you don't necessarily notice that size difference. Cause Powell's like five, eight and a half. And Jeff Jefferson six, one, but he's 19 and Jefferson's 18. So like initially it's like, Whoa. And then you see the numbers like, Whoa. Okay. He's got something here. And I watched him his entire college career at the university of Florida. They used him as a, as a Percy Harvin gadget guy, but they never really treated him like a receiver or running back. He was gadget stuff. They put him in the slot, they give him screens, they give him jet sweeps, All and he was a great returner. Ever since he's been in the NFL, it's basically been his role. Coming here, I didn't have high expectations for him because that's what I knew the player was. He's shown himself to be a really good receiver. Somebody you can count on to be able to run a crisp route, separate, and be able to do some of those little nuanced things. And We had no expectations of that coming in. So the fact that he's having this kind of camp, like I I don't know if he qualifies for Mr. Mankato being. I think he's a fifth-year guy now, but this is a Mr. Mankato type performance he's putting in. It's completely unexpected. It's really impressive, and Parole's kind of the same way. But we like he's kind of got that that grinder mentality where he's just going all out every single play, and you can see it. You can see him like even like making Football. the dramatic catch, and you can see him doing the, the toe tap. He's doing every little thing right he's creating separation in his routes this wide receiver group is sh- the best performing group of training camp so far mm. but I I think Brian Brandon Powell is going to make the roster at this point and I don't think I would have said that two weeks ago
1: mm. all right Fournell. Explain this college football realignment to me like uh, like I'm a five-year-old here. My Michael Scott's uh, best impersonation there. So we're going down now basically from well, there was a bunch of different concepts. We had the Pac-12. We've obviously had the Big Ten. I know the SEC has merged out a little bit over the last ten years, and they've expanded. But now all of a sudden, we're just getting like, what, three real power three conferences in Division one football. You have a bunch of Pac-12 teams joining the Big Ten. Uh, so for our college football audience, which also does dabble into Purple Daily, I know we're an NFL and Vikings podcast. However, obviously Purple Daily on draft does have to rely on the college football season to get those prospects. And we'll be talking college football prospects on this show uh, once the college football season starts here in a couple weeks. So can you explain this to uh, to the audience here? What is college football doing? And is it a good thing? and Or is it a bad thing for the sport?
0: It's multi-layered here. Um, it conference realignment's about money, and it's always been about money. Like, let's be honest, the Pac-12 media deal, awful. It was streaming only through Apple TV. The, the latest contract offer: twenty-three million dollars a year. Big Ten teams are getting close to forty. SEC teams are also getting close to that. You in this landscape, football in basketball pay for your athletic department. They are the reason why your other programs get to exist. So from a college perspective, it's okay. We need to make X amount of money because we need to be able to support these other programs. Yep. And well, the other frustrating part is, and Eli Drinkwitz for uh, head coach of the Missouri football team said this, like we we're only thinking about football here. We're not thinking about all these other programs. We're not thinking about how the effect it's having on the student athletes. And one of the reasons why college football conferences have stayed regional. Like what happens when the Washington softball team needs to fly out to Happy Valley, Pennsylvania and play a softball game? Then you got to fly back. And that's like a five, six hour flight. And then you're expecting that in return. And then they they have to go to school and get a degree. And like there's a different type of mental and physical toll that are put on these athletes. Because a lot of them have to fly commercial. They don't have charters. Right. So it's it's a different level. That not everybody has really looked into. So there's that. From a just a strictly. College football perspective. One of the best things about college football. has always been tradition. And it absolutely sucks. Seeing the tradition of college football. Which is really the heart and soul of it. Be it Like monetized and shrunk down. It hurts, man. As a as a massive fan of the sports, it really stinks. But you you're also going to get to see some new rivalries form, which I I guess is cool. Like M- Missouri and Texas A&M joined the SEC like ten years ago. Yep. I don't care about them. I don't like. I still see them as Big Twelve. Like that's that's how my mind like sees this stuff. And it's really disheartening from a lot of reasons. And I could see a situation where we have three tiers of Division One football, which could like there's the adage where oh we can find you anywhere if you're a really good football player well it's easier to find you if you're at one of the best schools so if there's going to be fewer top schools then it's you know what i'm saying yeah, like it's easier to find a kid at alabama than it is to find them at weber state <laughs> it doesn't matter if they're the same talent it's going to be easier to find and it's going to be easier for that team to draft the kid from alabama so the like the way things are starting to tear could really stink for prospects but at the end of the day
1: it's about money right well and it's frustrating on a lot of levels let me ask you this for now because if if the conferences are expanding and we're absorbing more schools into the conferences does this eventually mean college football regular season gets expanded like is that is that a path where it goes two extra more regular season games like is that a legitimate path that you see happening or or how does that also shake out?
0: i'll be honest i don't think so and the reason i don't think so is you know, one of the reasons why they have like the seasons the way they are the season doesn't expand into the spring semester it is a fall semester sport right and the only way i can see them expanding is that they continue to expand the playoff like the, the playoff getting expanded um is huge but it only adds a few extra games and basically it's just bowl season so I they added the 12th there are some teams that were doing 12 and there are a couple teams Hawaii and Western Kentucky will do a 13th but I, I don't see a situation where you're having these guys play 14 games unless you're starting the season like week zero is August 26th but there's only like eight games and then those all those teams get an extra bye week during the like the regular season. So unless you're going to start at mid-August, I just don't see a pathway where it's going to happen. Interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm a curious about it. I mean, I'm, I'm planning to watch a lot more college football this year for probably one of the few times in my lifetime just for the sake of this show and can get a little more ingrained with it. Um, but it is interesting watching these conferences emerge. You know, to your point, 10 years ago, Missouri and joining it, um, and now watching UCLA and all these Pac-12 teams join the Big Ten, which is absolutely wild to me. Um, it is interesting. I guess we'll get maybe, though, uh, some Pac-12 after dark in the Big Ten now, right? I mean, it, not Pac-12 because it's going away, but Big Ten after dark with uh, some of these Pac-12 teams joining.
0: Listen, I, I am all for <laughs> watching a, a sicko game of Illinois at Washington at 9.30 p.m. <laughs> like it, it, Pac-12 after dark was great. I've always been a big Mountain West after dark guy. You like Fresno State versus San Diego State on CBS Sports Network. That was always my cup of tea. But Big 12 absorbed uh, multiple West Coast teams. They got Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado. And they also have BYU. Like The Big 12 could be doing some after dark stuff. Just that 930 window is just, it's, it's so much fun.
1: And just don't
0: take that away from me.
1: All right. Purple Daily on draft every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. Uh We break down uh, Vikings prospects. We break down eventually college football prospects as well. So hit that subscribe button for daily Vikings entertainment. Anyone you want to hear us discuss or talk more about, uh hit us up in the YouTube co- uh, comments or hit us up on the Score North app. There's a feedback tab that has all that information for you. Purple Daily on draft every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. We'll see you later.